0: back with me. Where? Back to the future. Wait a minute. What are you doing, Doc? I need fuel. Go ahead. Quick. Get in the car. No, 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 Doc. I just got here, okay? Jennifer's here. We're gonna take the new truck for a spin. Well, bring it along. This concerns her too. Wait a minute, Doc. What, what are you talking about? What happens to us in the future? Both you and Jennifer turn out fine. It's your kids, Marty. Something has gotta be done about your kids. Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. Well, good morning. How many you guys remember those movies, Back to the Future? Yeah, those were awesome. Now, let me date some of us this morning. Believe it or not, the first Back to the Future movie came out in the summer of 1985. Can you believe that? Next year will be the 30th anniversary of Back to the Future to the future. And I don't know if you remember, they they would set the car to go to a date in the future. And in that scene, this is the date on the car. We we, we looked this up, October 21st, 2015. That was the date they were going to. So that's next year. So you guys save your money because the flying DeLoreans are gonna be hitting the lots. Any day now, and you can buy them and get ready for that. Well, listen, just like that movie, Back to the Future, um, we're continuing our our series this summer called Greatest Hits, and the next three weeks, uh, we've pulled out a message series I did a couple of years ago called Back to the Future, where we're going to go back 2,000 years ago to some things that Jesus talked about, about the future, and how some of those events are taking place before our very eyes today. So this is going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. You're going to enjoy this. You guys excited about this? It's going to be good. Good, so turning your Bibles or your mobile devices to Mark chapter 13 this morning, and that's where we're going to be looking uh, this entire chapter for the next three weeks called Back to the Future. And I don't know if you remember with the movies, it was a trilogy of Back to the Future movies. The first two were really good, and the third one was really bad. So don't waste your time on that one if you haven't seen them. But we're gonna do three weeks of messages called Back to the Future as we go verse by verse through Mark 13, but I promise the third week will be better than the third movie, so hang with me. We love this part of the Bible because it's a really juicy part of Mark where um, there's a lot of prophecy about future events because we, we, we love prophecy because we wanna know what's gonna happen in the future. Prophecy is in the Bible where God predicts something and then it happens in the future. And you may be surprised to hear the Bible talks a lot about the future and future events things like the rapture of the church the tribulation the return of Christ the end of the world and people want to know when is that gonna happen how close are we to that um, statistics tell us that one out of every 30 verses in the Bible have something to do with future events about Christ's return to the end of the world. There's over 300 references in the New Testament alone about future events. All but four of the New Testament books talk about the return of Christ. That's 20% of our New Testament. So I think God wants us to know about future events. Amen. Or he wouldn't put so much about it in the Bible. And there's some amazing prophecies in the Bible. I mean, this book, the Bible, is a book of prophecy. There were over 10,000 prophecies in the Bible. Some predictions that, you know, are t- 10 years before they happened, some 100, some thousands of years. And you know how many times the Bible has been wrong about its future predictions? None. It's never been wrong one time. And many of the predictions of the Bible have come to pass, but there are some still yet to take place that we're seeing begin to take Form and shape before our very eyes today. That's why this is so practical and exciting. But anytime we start talking about prophecy and future events, I think it's important that we understand. We want to make sure the prophetical gets into the practical of our daily lives. We don't want to just study this stuff just so we can, you know, wow our friends with our Bible knowledge and you know do uh, do really well at Bible trivia. We want to make sure that this is practical so that we know the times that we're living in and how close we might be to some of these future events. I like this verse in 1 Chronicles 12, 32. It says this, the sons of Issachar in the Old Testament had understanding of the times, the days, the times they were living in so they would know what Israel ought to do. So we wanna study these future events so we know the times that we're living in so we know how to live and how we know how to prepare and so we know what to do, Amen. And so that's that's exciting as we look at these. And just like we're interested in future events, the disciples of Jesus day were also interested in future events. And they begin to have a discussion with Jesus in Mark chapter 13. They ask some questions about future events and then Jesus takes the entire chapter of Mark 13 to answer their questions. It helps them understand what the future is going to be like, but it also helps us today to understand future events and how close we may be to the return of Christ, the rapture of the church, and these things. So look at how this discussion begins in Mark chapter 13, verse one. It says, <clears throat> excuse me, then as he, Jesus, went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. I mean, they're coming out of this massive temple and they're like, wow, look at this place. This is incredible. I mean, they sound like a bunch of hicks coming in, you know, out of the sticks, going, wow, look at the big city. And they're, they're admiring this temple and Jesus then blows them away with a prediction of a future event. And Jesus answered and said to them, to him, to his disciple, do you see these great buildings? They're like, yeah, wow. He says, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. He says, I know you see this amazing temple, but there's coming a day in the future where this temple that's so amazing and so magnificent it's gonna be destroyed. Now, the temple that they were coming out of in Mark 13 was what was known as Herod's Temple. We have a picture of it, and this is uh, uh, an artist who put this together. It's it's kind of a model of what that temple and the Temple Mount would have looked like uh, during Herod's Day, the one they're talking about here 2,000 years ago in Mark 13. Now, the first temple was known as Solomon's Temple. It was built in 953 BC. It was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC when Israel was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. There was a man named Zerubbabel that went back to Jerusalem and, and led them to rebuild the temple in 517 BC, but it was, they didn't have a lot of money and resources, so it was a very low-budget project. It was just kind of like a little shack temple. It was very small. And then Herod comes along in 20 BC and he wants to, you know, get into good favor with Israel and the Jews. And so he puts all this money into this massive expansion project to expand Zerubbabel's temple to what was then known as Herod's temple that looked like this. It took him 44 years to complete this temple. It was completed in 64 AD. Um, Part of it was made of wood, but when you would look at the outside, mainly what you would see was marble. Marble. It was made out of marble, and it was overlaid in gold and silver. You say, well, how big was it? History tells us that it was 500 yards by 400 yards. I mean, it was like five football fields by four football fields. And because it was overlaid in gold and silver, when people would come from afar to head to Jerusalem and was up on this hill, it was like the original or or the, the first Emerald City, As the people would approach it, I mean, it would just shine and everybody knew about it. I mean, it was the most amazing structure on the face of the earth at this time. And yet Jesus blows his disciples away by telling them, you see how awesome and amazing and magnificent this temple is? Well, in the future, it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be completely torn down. This would be like somebody coming on the scene before 9-11 when the World Trade Centers fell to the ground and saying to us, hey, you see these magnificent two towers, these, the World Trade Center? Those are going to be completely destroyed, and they're going to fall to rubble to the ground. And we'd probably be like, yeah, right. That's not going to happen. Who's going to do that? That was this prediction of the temple. But notice what Jesus said in verse 2. He didn't just say it was going to be destroyed. He said not one stone would be left upon another. History tells us, not just the Bible, but secular history tells us that in 70 AD, the Romans came into Jerusalem, and you know what they did to Herod's temple? They destroyed it. They absolutely destroyed it, and this prophecy of Jesus was fulfilled just about you know, 50 years after he told it to his disciples, and not only did they destroy it, they burned it to the ground. There was an uh, archer who flung a you know a, a flaming arrow and it hit the temple in the wood and it burned down. Well, guess what happened to all the gold and the silver? It melted into the cracks and the crevices of this temple that was destroyed. Well, it was worth you know thousands and thousands and thousands of millions of dollars and so the Romans went through stone by stone carving out and chipping away at the silver and the gold to collect all of that and you can go today we've got a picture, uh, this is the temple ruins today of that temple that was destroyed in 70 AD Um, I led a group of people from our church several years ago to Jerusalem and we saw these very stones and you could today see where the Romans had chiseled out stone by stone taking the gold and the silver and so it was exactly exactly like Jesus said it was fulfilled and here's the point just as that prophecy was fulfilled history tells us was literally fulfilled in 70 AD the rest of Mark chapter 13 Jesus is going to predict a whole lot of other future events about the rapture and the second coming and the tribulation and just like we can trust Jesus that that happened in 70 AD do you believe we can trust Jesus with the rest of these future events absolutely absolutely Just like that one came true, these other things are going to be fulfilled in our future. Now, the disciples wanted to know, okay, Jesus, you're telling us this temple is going to be destroyed. When is this going to happen? Can you give us a clue? When's this going to take place? Well, Jesus begins to answer their question, and he really starts giving us some insight to future events even today. Look what he says in verse 3. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, hey, Jesus, you know, you said this temple's going to be destroyed in the future. Tell us, when will these things be? When's this going to happen? And what will be, look at the next two words, the sign when all these things will be fulfilled. They, okay, Jesus, you're telling us this temple is going to be destroyed. When's this going to happen? Can you give us a clue? Can you give us the sign? Now, here's the deal. The disciples were Jewish men asking a Jewish question. And Jesus is going to answer with a Jewish perspective. And the disciples thought that whenever this temple would be destroyed, that would certainly be the end of the world and the second coming of Jesus Christ when he would set up his thousand-year millennial reign in Jerusalem. That's what they thought. Because they didn't understand what we today understand, that there would first be a period of some 2,000 years called the church age. But he begins to answer this question, and he addresses this this time gap of his second coming and and the church age. And Jesus is going to take the rest of chapter 13, and he's going to explain future events around three time periods that occur around what we know as the tribulation. Have you ever heard of the tribulation? Say yes. And so he's going to talk about what happens before the tribulation, the seven years of tribulation. He's going to talk about what happens during the tribulation, and then he's going to talk about what happens after the tribulation. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next three weeks. What does Jesus tell us is going to happen before, during, and after the tribulation? And in answering this question, the disciples are are asking, because they thought, well, whenever the temple is destroyed, that must be the end, but it's not and he's gonna help us with this. Now, to help get our bearings, I wanna use a a kind of an end times uh, chart for you guys. We're gonna put it on the screen. And this kind of gives us a panoramic view of the biblical end time events that Jesus is gonna talk about. If you go all the way over here to the far left, we are living in what is called the church age. And aren't you thankful for the church age? Because if, if, if there wasn't a church age, then we wouldn't know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so, right now, we're living in the church age. Now, the next prophetic event to happen, according to the Bible, I believe, on God's time calendar, is an event called the rapture of the church. The rapture. The word rapture comes from the Latin word raptio. It means to be caught up. You can read about this event in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And in this event, and we don't, I don't believe there's anything that has to happen before the rapture, is going to take place. It could happen today. It could happen this week. It could happen next month. At any moment, and, at, and it's important that you understand the difference between the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because at the rapture, the Bible tells us in First Thessalonians that Jesus is going to return, but He's only going to return. How many of you all know this? In the air, in the sky. And we will be caught up as believers to meet him in the air. That's what the Bible says. That millions and millions of people will vanish in the blink of an eye from the face of this earth. Who have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that can happen at any moment. That's called the rapture. Then that will trigger seven years of tribulation and all the things described in Revelation. Jesus is going to refer to some of that in Mark 13. And then at the end of the seven years of tribulation will be the literal second coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ At the end of the battle of Armageddon, I know some of you, I may be losing you, but just listen to me. That's where Jesus will literally come back to this earth. He'll set foot on the Mount of Olives and he will rule and reign for a thousand years. Now, it's very, very important that we understand these are two different events. The rapture of the church where we meet him in the air and the literal second coming of Christ where he comes back to the earth. If you're with me, say, I am. So I, to help you guys, when I'm talking about the rapture, I'll say the rapture of the church. When I'm talking about the second coming, I'm talking about the literal second coming. Because a lot of times people say, well, when's the second coming of Christ? And they're talking about the rapture. But these are two different events. The reason this is important is because everything that Jesus is gonna talk about in Mark chapter 13, that question he's answering to the disciples is about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And what that's going to look like and how close we are to that. So if what Jesus describes in Mark 13 looks like we're getting close to that, I believe we back up seven years to the rapture of the church. We're even that much closer to that event that will affect us as believers. Are you with me? So look at how Jesus is going to answer this. About well, Today we're only going to look at what happens before the tribulation. Leading up to the tribulation. This is called uh, by some the Olivet Discourse. It's on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus gives this incredible teaching. You can read about it in Luke chapter 21, Matthew chapter 24. We're going to camp in Mark chapter 13. And what Jesus tells us is going to happen before the tribulation. Or for us, before the rapture of the church. And the first thing Jesus is going to say to his disciples and to us is don't be deceived. Don't be deceived By the times we're living in. And he begins to answer in verse 5 through 8. He answers the disciples' question. Okay, when is this going to happen? And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one does what? Deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, I am the Christ, I am Jesus returning, and will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen. But watch this, church. But the end is not what? Not yet, not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. There will be troubles. But these are the beginning of sorrows. The first thing Jesus says is don't be deceived by people claiming to be me, but they're not really me. Don't think that I've returned. I want you to know when it's really me and when it's people who are false Christ's. Or what we refer to as antichrist, And we've seen many of these guys come on the scene even in our lifetime since Jesus predicted this. And here's some evidence that just like Jesus said there would be false Christ, there have been. Let me give you three examples that you probably heard of. I'll put their picture on the screen. We'll work our way from left to right. The first one is Reverend Sun Moon. He lived from 1920 to 2012. He was believed by members of the Unification Church to be the Messiah and the second coming of Christ. He was a false Christ, an antichrist. And then the the man in the middle, um, we know him as Jim Jones. You remember Jim Jones? Uh, He lived 1931 to 1978. He claimed to be the reincarnation of Jesus. He organized a mass murder-suicide at Jonestown, Guyana on November 18, 1978. Have you ever heard the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid? Or have you drank the Kool-Aid? That comes from this event. He, he got his followers to drink this Kool-Aid that was laced with cyanide, and it was this mass murder-suicide, claiming to be Jesus, just like Jesus said, but he was a false Christ. He was an antichrist. And then, as some of our more recent lifetime, you remember a man named David Koresh over here. Now, I'm not, I think that's a picture of David Koresh. I'm not sure if that's David Koresh or Weird Al Yakovitch. They look a lot alike. But David Koresh was a Branch Davidian religious sec- leader in Waco, Texas. Some of you remember this; you watched it on TV. I like to call him the Waco from Waco. He proclaimed he was the son of God, and in 1993, a raid by the FBI ended with Branch Davidian ranch burning to the ground. Koresh, uh, with 54 adults and 21 children, were found dead, claiming, though he was the Messiah, that he was Christ. All these antichrists and false Christs, Jesus told the disciples, a lot of these guys are going to show up on the scene, but don't be deceived by them, don't be fooled by them. I'm going to tell you in this chapter how to know when it's really me, and then ultimately we know the Bible is going to culminate with the antichrist, the antichrist, the one that's talked about in Revelation that will lead people to take the mark of the beast. We're going to talk about him next week. He's a key figure during the tribulation. But Jesus is going to tell the disciples and us exactly what to look for in the future so we're not deceived to get our bearings. Now, this is where people get confused. In verse 7 and 8, Jesus said, But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen. But the end is not... Yet, That's a key phrase. For nation's gonna rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places and there'll be famines and troubles. But these are the beginning of sorrows. And it never fails that any time wars break out and earthquakes take place and famines, you know what people do? They start going, oh, Jesus is coming. There's a big earthquake. Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. Get your rapture shoes ready. Get ready. Doesn't matter. You don't need your rapture shoes. We're gonna go naked anyway. That's my opinion, I think. I'm not sure. Boys wondered that. I don't think our clothes are going with us, but every time you see one of these events, if you all know what I'm talking about, say yes. People are every earthquake, every war. Every, oh, Jesus coming, the rapture is going to happen. But Jesus said clearly right here, don't be deceived. The end is not yet. These are the beginning of sorrows. Jesus is telling us that these things are not the sign of his coming, but they lead up to the sign. They do have significance, but they're not the sign. So you may be wondering, okay, what is the sign that when when the world sees this happen, I believe you can count to the very day of the literal second coming of Jesus Christ. So if there is the sign that when the world sees that, we know Jesus is about to return, the literal second coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation. Would you all like to know what the sign is? If this is the one that when you see this happen, we're all going to know. Would you like to know? Okay, then you got to come back next week. Because Jesus is going to tell us next week what the sign is. And he's very specific. And when this happens... It's going to change everything. That's my teaser for next week. But before next week, Jesus does give us a big clue that we're getting closer and closer to the sign. And the rapture of the church and the second coming. And he calls these events, these wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines. He says they're not the sign, but they do lead up to it. And he calls them the beginning of what? Sorrows. These are the beginning. Clues and hints. And it's very interesting the language that Jesus uses here when he calls these events the beginning of sorrows. The word sorrows comes from the Greek word odin. And it means labor pains. He describes these events like labor pains. Now, men, let me help you. Labor pains are not when you have to get up early and go to work in the morning. That is not Labor pains. It's not when you have to mow the yard. Ladies, do you know what labor pains means? Yes. Just punch your husband right now for labor pains, okay? Give you permission, all right? And Jesus says these events, although they're not the sign, they lead up to the sign, but they are significant because they're like labor pains, and he's painting a picture for us. Now, I have not personally experienced labor pains. I know that might surprise you. But I have had a first-hand account. I've been an eyewitness to labor pains. I had the privilege to be in the hospital room when both of my children were born, and my wife was Shelly was going through labor pains. And I remember when our first child, Caleb, was born, and you know we were going to be first-time parents. And so, we went and did the Lamaze classes, and we graduated, you know, like top of our class. And I was, man, I was ready. I mean, I had the breathing down. I was going to coach her up. I was like, bring on the labor pains. I got this. You know, I mean, I was like, you know, I was ready. I was good at it. I was like, I can do this. So, the labor pains start happening, Shelly. Now, now, we made what a lot of first parents mistake make. Every time, like when she first, you know, she's like in her last month and, and she'd have a little Braxton Hick, you know, I think is that what they call them? And, and a little labor. Pain. We were all, it's time, let's go. We'd be in the emergency room. They sent us home like four times. We'd walk in the door. Oh, it's Dameron's again. No, not yet. Finally, it was the, the right day. So we get in there. Now, they gave her an option, natural childbirth or epidural. Well, Shelly found out there are no awards or trophies for natural childbirth. So she said, sign me up for the drugs, bring them on. And I remember that just as the labor pains were starting to get uncomfortable, they gave her the epidural. And from that point to time to push She's joking around, having a good time. People are coming in and out of the room. I I mean, I was like, I was kind of bummed. I was like, I'm not going to get to, Yeah, I was like, what's going on here? I think I got to say push like twice and, you know, it was over. And and it really, she would even tell you, it wasn't that bad. That was Caleb's birth. Almost two years later, our daughter Caitlin was going to be born. And we were experienced parents at this point. And we knew better than to rush off to the emergency room just because of any little pain. And so we decided we're going to wait until we know for sure that she's in full-bore labor pains. So we waited. And we waited. And we waited. And finally, Shelly said, we got to go. I said, okay. We get to the hospital, put her in the room. And now she's in serious labor pains. And she calls for, the, the nurse comes. She's like, I'm ready for my epidural. The nurse says, oh, honey, it's too late for an epidural. I mean, you're, you're about ready to push. And all the ladies said, oh, no epidural this time. It, it's, it's, it's full natural childbirth. Something in my head did not make the connection that this was going to be different than Caleb's birth. <laughs> yeah. I'm having a good time. I'm flipping channels on the TV. I'm, I'm, call- We're, I'm on the phone talking to some friends and family. Oh, yeah, man. She's like a nine. She's hurting. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm yucking it up having a good time. All of a sudden, I feel this hand just <laughs> clamp on. Nails go an inch under my skin. I think I still have the scars today. I look over in the bed to who I thought was my wife. I don't know who it was. There were things coming out of her mouth I had never heard before. I was scared. I was like, I gotta go. And I experienced real labor pains. At least I watched real labor pains. But you get the difference. And and here's the deal. Jesus is saying Wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes, those things, they're not the sign, but they lead up to the sign and they're like labor pains. And here's the big clue that he gives us. You want to know if we're getting closer and closer to the end of the time and and, and the rapture of the church and the tribulation of the second coming, when the frequency and intensity of these events begin to take place like labor pains, you know the baby's not coming, Jesus is coming. If you you understand that picture, say yes. And and that's the picture Jesus is painting about these events. They're not the sign. We'll see that next week. But they do lead up to. And so, when we see a drastic increase in the frequency and intensity of these events, just like the, you know, with labor pains of babies coming, Jesus is coming. And the rapture is first. So, that leads us to this question. Have we seen any evidence of an increase in the frequency and intensity of these events that Jesus describes? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Let's take wars and rumors of wars and nation rising against nation. When Jesus said that, we went almost 1900 years of history with no major world wars. There were some wars here and there, but not world wars. But from 1914 to 1924, these prophecies of future events began to take place. July 28th, 1914, World War began. In 1939, World War II began. And there have been wars after wars after wars ever since. You can't turn on the TV today that somebody's not fighting somebody. Now, right now, the world's attention is on Israel and Hamas in Gaza and Russia and Crimea. And people are asking the question, does that have anything to do with the end times and these future events? Yes. Anytime you see Israel fighting, which Israel has been fighting ever since May 14, 1948 when they became a nation, they've been fighting to keep their identity and their homeland. Now we see it ramped up again in Gaza with Hamas. The Bible says that they're going to be fighting and at war leading right up to the tribulation because after the rapture of the church, the Antichrist is going to come on the scene. We're going to talk about this next week and he's going to sign a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. And for the first time in their history since 1948, they're going to be at peace, but it's going to be short-lived. And so any kind of fighting and skirmishes you see between Israel and anybody, that's just leading right up to these things. And can you imagine if somebody could come on the scene right now and and cause peace in the Middle East with Israel, they'd be like a hero. And it's all setting up. Okay, what about Russia? Everybody now is going, "Well, okay, a rush is starting to flex their strength again and their muscles. Does that line up with the Bible in Israel? It absolutely does. Let me give you a, a prophecy. In Ezekiel chapter 38, verse one through three, we'll put it on the screen. Ezekiel has an incredible prophecy about a future event that has, I believe, to do with Russia. It says this, this is another message that came to me from the Lord. It's a prophecy about future events. Son of man, turn and face Gog, the land of Magog, the prince who rules over the nations of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against them. I'm going to predict about something in the future. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. Gog, I am your enemy. Why is Gog the enemy of God? Here's why. You will come from your homeland, and here's the key, in the distant what church? North, you know what country is the furthest distance north from Israel? Russia. With your vast cavalry and your mighty army, and you are going to attack my people, Israel. Most Bible scholars agree that Magog is a reference of what we know today as Russia, that far country to the north. And Meshech very well may be a reference to Moscow. There's a great article about all of this and Ezekiel's prophecy and what's going on today. I've given you a link to that in your notes I'd encourage you to go read that uh, later today. Don't look it up on your phones right now. But I wanna read an excerpt from this article about Ezekiel's prophecy and what's going on before our very eyes today in the news. And it says this, the Bible does mention Russia in connection with the end times, but just not by that name Ezekiel 38 and 39 definitely refers to a nation coming from northern Asia to attack Israel. After the Cold War, Russia lost its superpower status, making the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy seem unlikely in some people's eyes. However, recent events that we're seeing today have shown that Russia is gaining strength. And many believe that the invasion of Crimea is just a first step in Russia's plan to restore its dominance in that hemisphere. It is also interesting to note, listen to this, that in the Soviet era, Moscow was solidly aligned with several Muslim countries in opposition to, guess who? Israel. And since the breakup of the Soviet Union, Russia has continued to make overtures to the Muslim world. We know today that Russia has joined hands with Iran, and Iran is the patron funding country of Hamas, who Israel is right now fighting. And you can see how these predictions of the future and this prophecy may be taking place before our very eyes. Now, there's a lot of debate about the timing of this invasion of Gog and Magog, Russia, you know, and, and these Muslim countries on Israel. And there's basically two possibilities that uh, the biblical, you know, uh, theologians talk about. One is they think that this, this war will lead right up to the rapture and trigger the tribulation. The other possibility that Bible scholars believe is that this war will take place sometime during the middle part of the tribulation that we'll talk about next week. I personally believe this will take place during the middle of the tribulation. And let me tell you why. And this is not something we need to debate over, but it's interesting. In verse 8 of Ezekiel 38, it says this about this prophecy. A long time from now, you will be called into action, in reference to Russia. In the distant what, church? Future. Now, those words were written like 2,500 years ago. Guess what? We are in the distant future. You will swoop down on the land of Israel. Now, watch this. Here's the key. Which will be enjoying what? What? Is Israel enjoying peace right now? They haven't had peace since they became a nation again in 1948. So something is going to happen to put them at peace, which we'll see next week will be a seven-year peace treaty signed. That's why I think this will probably take place after that peace treaty has been signed with Israel, and they're enjoying peace, and then guess what? They get attacked again. And it'll lead up to the things in the middle of the tribulation. It says, which will be enjoying peace after recovering from war. They're at war right now. And after its people have returned from many lands to the mountains of Israel. And what's amazing is we see the fulfillment of these wars and rumors of wars taking place before our very eyes today. Jesus also mentioned another labor pain. Famines. Famines. Have we seen an increase in intensity of famines? After World War I, we had the world's greatest famines begin to take place. Hundreds of millions died in Russia and China. There was a study done uh, on world hunger. They found in 1995, there were 800 million people in the world that go to bed hungry every night. In 2014, they predict it's over one billion people. That's one in seven people in the world go to bed hungry every night. This is one reason why we have three feeding centers around the world that we support to help feed some of these kids. And I hope you guys can help us again this year because these next three weeks, we're signing up again our pledges for uh, this year to help these feeding centers. And we appreciate all of you that have helped us last year some of you are new to our church. Um, you can, for ten dollars a month, you can feed a kid for 10 bucks a month. I mean, that's a couple of visits to Starbucks. So we can all participate in this. But we've seen famines increase. Jesus also mentioned earthquakes in various places. Another sign of labor pains leading up to the return of Christ. The world's deadliest deadliest earthquakes began in 1920 in China. In 1923 in Japan, 340,000 people lost their lives. The United Nations did a study of earthquakes from 1926 to 1950, a 24-year period of time, and 350,000 people died. Now, that's a lot of people, but that was over 24 years, 350,000. On December 26, 2004, there was a 9.0 earthquake in Indonesia, and in that one earthquake alone, 270,000 people died. In January 12, 2010, we all remember this, there was a 7.0 earthquake in Haiti, where our feeding center is. In that one earthquake, 316,000 people died. Jesus lets us know that the intensity and frequency of these types of events are the birth pains leading up to the return of Christ, the second coming. And again, back up seven years, I believe, for the rapture of the church. And Jesus says, don't be deceived. By these things. Don't be deceived by impostors. Uh, it's getting closer, but I haven't come yet. The sign hasn't happened, but next week we'll see what that sign is going to be. But we're getting closer and closer. The stage is being set every day. We're seeing these birth pains take place, increase in frequency and intensity. That ought to get our attention, church. That ought to get our attention. Now, When we talk about these end time events, for some people, it freaks them out. It scares them. Listen, can I tell you guys, with the authority of the word of God, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do not have to be scared or freaked out by these events at all. You should be excited about these events. We should be pumped. We should be saying, wow, we might be living in the time that we get raptured. Now, we may not. We don't know the day or the hour yet when the rapture's gonna take place in these events. But you know what? I would rather live in anticipation of Jesus' return and be wrong than not. But we should be excited. And Jesus says, don't be deceived. And then there's one other thing that I close with. He says, don't be discouraged. He says this to his disciples. Look at verse nine. But watch it, because I mean, they're probably discouraged. They're like, oh, What's gonna to happen to us? What's gonna happen? When are these things gonna take place and how are they gonna affect us? Maybe they were freaking out. And, G- and Jesus says to his disciples in verse nine, but watch out for yourselves for they will deliver you up to councils and, they will- and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And now some of y'all are freaking out right now. You're going, oh, I don't wanna be beaten in the synagogue. Okay, Jesus is talking here to who? His disciples specifically. And that came true. History tells us that 11 of the 12 disciples died martyrs' deaths in fulfillment of what Jesus said. And the gospel, verse 10, must be preached to all nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given to you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit I'm going to tell you, give you the words. Now, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Now, you're saying, whoa, when is that going to happen? If you go out and check out Revelation, when the Antichrist deceives people and they take the mark of the beast, families will be divided. We don't have time to go into all that, but I believe verse 12 is in reference to that. You can also read about that in Micah chapter 7. He then says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, for being a, a believer, a Christian Christian. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Jesus is saying, listen, don't freak out. Don't worry. Don't be discouraged. Hang in there. Don't give up. I'm coming back. I'm going to make all things right. Now, in verse 13, don't let this trip you up. He says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. He's talking here to the disciples. He's he's, he's, He's talking about the end of the world, the second coming. I believe he's talking about those people who are Christians during the tribulation period. He says, those who endure to the end, and that's, he uses that in verse seven and verse 13, both in relation to the second coming of Christ. I, I don't believe this verse is saying, you know, if we work hard enough, we'll be saved because we know we are not saved by our works. We're saved by grace through faith. But what he's saying is during the tribulation, the true believers will not take the mark of the beast and they'll prove their faith by their faithfulness. It's like what James talks about in James 1.17, faith without works is dead. And that we today, we know we're not saved by our works, but our works show that we're truly saved. Are, are you with me? That's what he's talking about. And Jesus tells his disciples and, and believers everywhere, we're gonna face some type of persecution. Don't be discouraged. Now we hear that today, and in US Christianity, we don't have a lot of persecution like what the disciples faced. Yet, but there is more hatred and animosity toward Christians growing all the time. And, and, and there are, even though there, we may not be seeing some of the same martyrdom in America, make no mistake about it, there are Christians in the world today that are dying martyrs' deaths, just like in Jesus' day. Places like Sudan and Pakistan, there are, uh, there are studies that say 28 countries in the world persecute and kill Christians today for naming the name of Christ. It's happening all all around us. I like the way one Bible teacher said it for us as U.S. Christians in, in America. He said, you may not die the death of a martyr, but you and I can live the life of a martyr. Living a life fully committed to Jesus Christ and not being discouraged. And Jesus is closing out here and he's saying to disciples, don't be discouraged. You see, the enemy knows just what buttons to push in our life to get us discouraged, doesn't he? The the disciples faced a very uncertain future. We're gonna be beaten, we're gonna be arrested, we're gonna be killed. They were kind of freaking out. And Jesus says, don't worry, it's gonna be okay. A lot of you this morning face an uncertain future. Maybe in relation to your finances, your health, your relationships, your house, your job. You, You may not die the death of a martyr. Hopefully we won't. But you have an uncertain future in areas of your life, and Jesus is saying, endure till the end. Whatever that end is for you, whether it's the rapture or you drawing your last breath, hang in there, Jesus says. It's gonna be okay. I'm coming back to get you. Don't be deceived, don't be discouraged. Our God will come. He will come. You believe that, church? Hang in there. Don't give up, don't be discouraged. Jesus is trying to encourage his disciples and all of us. Don't be deceived. Don't be discouraged. Now, next week, we're going to pick it up what happens during the tribulation. And we're going to see the sign of his coming. And I believe when the world sees this sign, you can, you can count to the very day to the second coming of Christ. Now, we don't know when this sign is going to happen, but, but this is a big sign. And, and, and you're going to learn that next week. You're going to see some things next week leading up to the sign that are going to blow your mind. Have I teased you enough to get you back next week? You don't want to miss this. Today, let's bow in prayer. we your heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. First of all, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if these things freak you out and they scare you, they don't need to if you know Jesus. And maybe God is getting your attention today because he wants you to be saved. He wants you to be forgiven. He wants you to have a home in heaven. He wants you to be raptured, if that happens in your lifetime. He doesn't want you to be left behind. And I want to give you an opportunity, like we do every week, to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to leave you in a prayer of faith that you can pray right now from your heart to God, right where you sit. It's not a magic prayer. It's not magic words. But if you put faith behind it, you can invite Jesus into your life, and you can know that you're on the right side, and the right family, and the right team, and you don't have to be afraid of Christ's return. You can look forward to his return if you know Jesus. He'll be coming back to get you. And so if you have never received Christ and you want to do that, I want to lead you in this prayer of faith right now. You can pray these words with me and put belief and faith behind them. And it goes like this. Jesus, I I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I want you to forgive me of my sins. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Thank you. My head's bowed and eyes closed. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but would nobody look around but me for just a moment? If you just prayed that prayer of faith to invite Jesus into your life, to be prepared for these events, if you did that for the first time today, would you just slip up your hand as a testimony? I just want to pray for you and your decision for Christ. Thank you. Anyone else? God bless you. Thank you. Just slip it up and put it down. I prayed that prayer of faith to invite Jesus into my life today. I, I, I don't want to be left behind. I don't want to miss out on being with Jesus. Anyone else? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for those making the most important decision they could ever make to put their faith and trust in you today. I pray they grow in that relationship and their life would never be the same. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, as believers here this morning, you know what? Here's what we ought to do if we think we're close to these events taking place. Number one, we need to make sure we're right with the Lord. I mean, if you're saved, you know that you're going to heaven, you know you're going to be raptured, but that you're walking in fellowship with him that your life is pleasing to Him, that you're ready to meet Him and not be ashamed. It it also ought to challenge us to share our faith with those around us that may not know Jesus, our friends, our coworkers, our family members, our neighbors, to, to share what we have in our relationship with Jesus with those around us so that they can be a part of His family. And if you're going through difficulties today, Jesus is trying to encourage you as much as he was the disciples. Listen, we know we're going to spend eternity. We know the end of the story. We win. Be encouraged by that today. Be excited to know that our God will come. He will come. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that we know you're going to return for us. Lord, we, it may be in our lifetime. It may be in, in the next generation, but we know it's going to happen. May we not get complacent. May we be anticipating and looking and be ready for your return that may be very soon. May we be living lives that are pleasing to you. May we be sharing our faith and may we be encouraged by the fact that our God will come. And we thank you for that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate our God and what he's going to do? Amen. If you, uh, if you made a decision for Christ today to accept Jesus Lord and Savior please let us know about that in your connection card you can drop that in the offering bucket when it goes by this morning if you're a first time guest Hope you filled out that guest connection card. Drop that in our bucket so we can uh, just send you a thank you note for being our guest. If you did fill out your pledge uh, for the new year, we're pledging for another year, the next three weeks for our feeding centers, Uh, please drop that in so we can see if we reach our goal of $3,000 a month. I believe we will and help us out in that way. Well, are you guys excited that our God is going to come back for us one of these days? Let's stand in response and let's worship through song and through giving today. God bless you guys.